Hi there, Glocal Citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around manifesting a new world. I am your host, Florence Adu. I'm coming to you from my own home office. I'm so happy to be hosting my guest today. It's a beautiful Friday afternoon in Brooklyn. We've gotten some much, 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 much needed rain today. Thankfully, we're in a drought. Come on, climate change, give us a break. In any case, that topic is something that's also near and dear to my guests work and what she does in in her everyday life. Let's get right into it. Her passion lies in building solutions that matter by diving into customer problems and solving them with modern technology. Her expertise is in creating, scaling, and optimizing products and services that are impactful. She realizes this passion as a business designer, product manager, and in her role as co-founder of social enterprise She Farms. As a social entrepreneur, her guiding question is, how are we going to feed 9.7 billion people by 2050? This drives her work in the agri-fintech sector, bringing the power of tech to the lives of smallholder farmers, particularly for women. She has lived and worked on three continents, developing a global perspective in management, marketing, business development, product management, fundraising, and entrepreneurship. She cultivates strong relationships with stakeholders across value chains, allowing her to connect and grow alongside of them. Tiambi Sims, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Yes, 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 yes. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Let's jump right in. Our first question is, where are you from? Where are you local? And what is your craft? So I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York, and I have been living out of the United States for the past 15 years. So I would really consider myself a global citizen in the sense that I've lived and worked in three continents, most recently in Lagos, Nigeria, and Amsterdam, the Netherlands. That's where Amsterdam, the Netherlands is where I would say is my second home. I came to age there. I was there for 13 years. So you're now local in Brooklyn. After being away, what brought you back? So this is my why the where question. How did you come to be living, working, and playing where you currently are? So coming back to the U.S., specifically New York, was not really planned. I've been back since the last July. My project in Lagos, Nigeria ended, and I, I didn't want to live in Amsterdam anymore. I was kind of bored of it. I already had gave up my apartment. My things are in storage still. <laughs> so I still technically live in Amsterdam. But I just wanted, I haven't lived in New York as an adult. So, and my parents, I'm from Bed-Stuy, and it was just like, okay, well, let's see about it. So I only came with a suitcase. I was only coming to like renew my visa, and I wind up staying, the project ended. In agriculture, Nigeria and other African countries have experienced inflation, what everyone is experiencing now, mm-hmm. back in, I would say, November, December, November of 2020, Mm -hmm. (laughs) really early before everybody else has. And so when you're in the agriculture sector, if things are not on time, seeds, Mm -hmm. the seeds are not to the farmers and the fertilizer is not there, the yields are not high enough, it's a trickle down effect, right? And so when you're dealing, when you're in this sector, if you have one thing mess up, everything kind of just fails. Mm -hmm. And so my project was really on getting access to market women, getting credit for market women. And if we don't have crops, 
yeah. <laughs> you know, beans, uh, maize, rice. If we don't have this to give to the market women in exchange for credit, we don't have a business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so the project stopped. And then it was just like, all right, well... Now I'm back in Brooklyn, and it's been an adjustment (laughs) being back in the United States. I live so much out of the country that it's so much a part of my identity and who I am. So it has been an adjustment. I'm still adjusting. I can imagine. So tell us more about Sue. It's interesting. This is your first adult round in New York. In New York. (laughs) So I'm curious to kind of get a sense of what, what, how did you decide to move to the Netherlands, number one? And, well, let's start there. How did the Netherlands become a part of your story? So the Netherlands wasn't even my first stop in Europe. I lived in Palma de Mallorca, Spain, and then Barcelona right after undergrad. So I graduated May 08 from University of Maryland College Park. And then August 08, I was in Mallorca. <laughs> Literally a couple months later, I was there. I was teaching English. I got into this program from one of my professors at Maryland, got me into this program in Spain to teach English. And, and it was also part of like my gap year. I was like, okay, well, I have this fellowship that I'm doing, I'm teaching English. I can live in Europe, figure out what I want to do with my life, right? And travel, you know? So it kind of just like ticked off all the little boxes for me. And then after that year, so I moved from Palma de Mallorca, Spain to Barcelona because living on an island, I'm from Brooklyn, New York. Yeah. I went to school in D.C. Like <laughs> the island life is not my thing, sure. you know, for a 22 year old. It's yeah. just not it. You know, yeah. I was just like, what is this? So they transferred me to Barcelona. I had an amazing time. Yeah. And, and I was my parents were like, OK, this rock star lifestyle, you know, like, what are you doing? Like, are you going to go to grad school? Are you going to get a job? What are you doing? And then so I applied to grad school. And so I got accepted for my first master's at the FU University of Amsterdam. And I did that in kinesiology, which is what my my bachelor's is in. And then life kind of just happened in the Netherlands. So in 09, I moved to the Netherlands. Okay. And life was great. And, you know, I, I really came to age in the Netherlands. And, and then after finishing my first master's, I realized I didn't want to be in sports medicine, kinesiology anymore. I got offered to do my PhD and I was like, ah, do I want to be in academia? No. <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't think I want to do that. And then I went to business school. I got accepted into the University of Amsterdam Business School, did my MBA in international business and strategy. And shortly after I started She Farms, right after I graduated. And so it, it kind of just happened that I stayed in the Netherlands for 13 odd years. That was not the initial goal, <laughs> but life happened. And I have been fortunate to be able to have lived that life, right? And I'm and technically still am, <laughs> you know? And so after that, so that that's how I started She Farms, mm-hmm. um, right after business school. Mm-hmm. So you went to the Netherlands for school. And so I want to get a sense of as a a migrant Mm -hmm. or an immigrant in that country. So student visa is easy. Sure. Great. And you'd mentioned having to come back for a visa renewal at one point. How did you transition from being a student and potentially working in Amsterdam? What was it like to get the right, you know, credentials or whatever? Is it similar to the U.S.? Is it a different process? How how did that work? The Netherlands, (laughs) the thing is, being a... Being American mm-hmm. has its advantages. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and because I already had did my master's, both my master's in the Netherlands, mm-hmm. 
I was already in the system. Sure. I already had a social security number. I already mm-hmm. had everything. And so for the process of living and working there, because I was already a student, transitioned. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I didn't really go through a lot of the difficulties to stay there longer. Mm-hmm. You know, and especially because I went to their universities. Mm-hmm. Is it, you know, it's, so it's a thing like, oh, you graduated from our top universities. So of course, mm-hmm. <laughs> you can mm-hmm. stay. Mm-hmm. You, you, you're the migrant that we want, right? Oh, you understand? Okay. So you right. got to understand like all right. of these other nuances. Sure. And that's why I said the fact that I'm American. Yes. You know, yes. being able to use that to my advantage has been very beneficial throughout my travels. Sure, yeah. sure, sure. I get it. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Interesting. So tell us about your Amsterdam. So where in the city, I've been there a couple of times, mm-hmm. where in the city were you? Like, mm-hmm. how did you, you know, as a young person, obviously there's a social life that you mm-hmm. kind of go into. And I know Amsterdam has a nice party scene, especially at that age. <laughs> so tell us about your 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 neighborhood. Like, what what is your Amsterdam like? So I would say the last few years that I was living in Amsterdam full time, I was living in the Jordan. That's in the center part of the city. I lived in a traditional Dutch house, narrow staircase going up and down. You know, the house was a little bit slanted. <laughs> but this is really the the character, right? Yeah. You want to be in these Dutch apartments, right? Yeah. Um, they talk about New York apartments being small. Yeah, I haven't seen a Dutch apartment. <laughs> you know? So my Amsterdam experience has been amazing. I I have still friends that I met within the first month of me moving to Amsterdam mm-hmm. that are still my friends today. Mm-hmm. I have a good network of expats as well as Dutch people. Every time I travel somewhere, I don't want to have other expat friends. Mm-hmm. That's not the first, that's no those are not the ones I'm looking for right. because I'm trying to be in the end. Sure. I'm trying to know what's going on. <laughs> I'm trying to understand a city. Yeah. You can't do that with other expats because they also don't know, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. At least that's that's that has been my experience, sure. and and that has actually worked out pretty well because I have integrated so much into the Dutch society. I speak Dutch. Some like one of my best friends only speaks to me in Dutch, and I and, <laughs> and you know, and I respond in English or Dutch. It depends on how I'm feeling at the day, <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. and. And because of that, that has allowed me to be able to really foster really good friendships. Some of my friends' parents took me in. You know, they're my family as well. So, yeah, my Amsterdam will always be home. Sure. You know, sure. it went, that's what, since 23 years old? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I literally came to age. Yeah. So, I, so a couple of my friends here in the States would be like, you're an American learning how to be an American again, which is true. Because mm-hmm. a lot of things, nuances and certain things, mm-hmm. I, ha- I don't have an understanding of it. Mm-hmm. Granted, I've come back to visit my parents, let's say, once a year. Mm-hmm. But I'm here on holiday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't live here now. I'm living here. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I like this. <laughs> so um, it, it, it's an adjustment. So it's that's interesting because that's how I feel about New York. Like I didn't grow up here in in New York, but I came of age here, so it will always be home. So yeah, I I totally can can relate to that. Okay, so you started to tell us a little bit about how She Farms came to be, and I want to get into that. But I also wanted to, since we were talking languages and you speak mm-hmm. Dutch, tell us what other languages you speak. Number one, 
And then also tell us about your global speak. So this is my, we want to hear what you hear question. So I ask you to share a word, a phrase, or a saying that is a meaningful part of your local experience and why or how you come to value it as global speak. Now you've lived in a few places, so I'm going to give you a pass to, to choose a place. Okay. But, but yeah, so how many languages and global speak? So I speak three languages. I'm learning the fourth. So I speak English, Dutch, and Spanish. I'm learning French. I understand Twi a little bit, but I haven't been in Ghana since, what, 2018. So, (laughs) So you know, I have to, like, be back there and be like, okay, I get these words again. You know, I think language is very important. I want to be able to communicate to everyone. And and everything is in the nuances, right? Mm -hmm. How you say certain things, the tone and intonations, all of that is very specific Mm -hmm. to the country or the location, right? And so that's why I feel like language is one of those things that is vital. And I think it's really sad that most Americans do not speak more than one language. <laughs> and it's just like, guys, you can't speak to the rest of the world. Exactly. You know, like yeah. this is it, this is important. So, yeah. So those are the three languages I'm, I, I speak. French is I work in on the African continent. Mm-hmm. Francophone. <laughs> I need to be able to speak to half the continent. You know, it's not easy because I don't speak French every day, right? Sure. So I'm so yeah. I'm losing it. The little bit that I do know, ah, you know, okay. it's like the muscle, right? Yeah. If you don't use it, you lose it. So I would say one for in Dutch is chazalik okay. or lekker, uh-huh. and like There's actually not an English translation for it okay. because it can mean twenty thousand different things depending on the context. Uh-huh. And so chazalik. The best way I can describe it is like cozy, but it doesn't mean cozy. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you understand? Uh-huh. So, but, and everything's like, oh, that's chazalik. And it, it, it just like, you can use it in 20,000 different ways. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's one. Lekker. And lekker, that means something tastes good. Mm. But you can say it again in so many different ways. So uh-huh. like, ah, oh, fintit lekker. And I'm like, oh, I think that looks nice. Uh-huh. You know, so it, it really depends on the context, sure. how you say it, who you're saying it to. Yeah. It can have many different meanings. Yeah. And I was saying in Legos, no wahala. Oh, yeah. Uh, oga. Yes. Oga now. Yes. <laughs> you know, this is this is what I have come to learn, yes. you know, living in Legos. Yeah. yeah. So I will say those are the for for the Netherlands and Nigeria. Those are the main ones. Okay. Yeah. I'm curious about. So say it again. Hazelik. Chazalek. Chazalek? Yeah, the, 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 the G's are really in the back of your throat. Ah, okay. Chazalek? Yeah. yeah. And Chazalek and lekker. 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 Like yeah. a little... Uh. Yeah. It's, the, the, the Dutch is not an easy language. <laughs> it's not phonetic. I can imagine. It doesn't sound like it. It's just like the sounds. It's like almost tonal, but not tonal. Yeah, and it's harder in the back. To pronounce certain words, mm-hmm. the G's are very hard, um, and the rolling of the R's. So yeah. because I speak Spanish, the rolling right. of the R's is a little bit easier. Right. But it's really you have, yeah, yeah. you can really mis- <laughs> mispronounce a word and say something totally different. Right. You know. Right. So yeah, Dutch is not is not an easy language to learn as a say English. Well, English is not an easy language either, you know, in that sense, because they they share the same root, right? They're both dramatic languages. Water is water, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know. (laughs) So so there's some some words overlap, but English is also, I think English is quite limited in in a a lot of its ways because it doesn't have the feminine masculine, how you approach, you know, or how you speak into your elders. Mm -hmm. We don't have that in English, so... 
learning that in Dutch, you have to know, you know, the same as in Spanish and French. You have to know who you're speaking to, yeah. you know. So that's where the limitations are sometimes in the English language, at least what I think. Yeah, and I think English is also not an emotional language. I think so many other languages can express emotion in much better ways. So like what you said about there not being a translation for that cozy, Mm -hmm. it's because there's so many emotional kinds of words in other languages that that are a sentiment as opposed to a word. Yeah. So I have one of my girlfriends who's Greek and and she always says, she goes, English is just... I have like 30,000 words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have old Greek. I have new mm-hmm. Greek. I have so many words to express mm-hmm. something. You have one or two. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh, I know. <laughs> you know, and it's just like the English language is very limited, yeah. you know, in the scope. Right. You know, and it's not a really old language compared to other languages. Right. Right. You exactly. know, that has a vast vocabulary. Yes, right? exactly. So, exactly. And a long cultural vocabulary. Right. Because I think about like when you look up words and they say where the root is and they say like old, like old English versus new English Mm -hmm. and how it has been, I want to say slangized to some extent, Mm -hmm. because it's been whittled down Mm -hmm. for probably for part of the universality of it. So that there there are fewer words purposefully in some cases, I think, because you can go back and they're like, I used to have a boss that annoyed me to death mm-hmm. because she would always come up with these like obscure words for stuff and it's like mm-hmm. why did you just say this mm-hmm. but she was uh, flexing a muscle I think yeah. by trying to expand what English is oh, well if we're not speaking the Queen's English right mm-hmm. so first and foremost we're speaking American <laughs> let's be very clear we are not speaking yeah. the Queen's English <laughs> so um, so with that even the other day I was telling someone I was like oh I'm a bit peckish and it was yeah. like peckish and I was just like yeah, I'm a little bit hungry. Like, <laughs> and, and it's like, for me, that's like, I've normally used that word. Yeah. And that's not something that most, most people yeah. don't use, peckish. I'm yeah. like, yeah, yeah, I would like to nibble. Yeah. So why you didn't say nibble? I was like, because it's also kind of a synonym of the same word. Yeah. Was, you know, yeah. so yeah. It, it was, it's just interesting, just in certain word, English words. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. people looking at me like, what? I'm like... <laughs> Yeah, someone to nibble on something. I'm a little hungry. Right, exactly. But that wasn't the first word that comes to mind, sure, right? Sure, yeah, exactly. So. so speaking of hunger, let's talk about feeding those uh, 9.7 billion people by mm-hmm. 2050. So she farms. Mm-hmm. You were studying medicine in a certain, you were studying kinesiology, you were going to be in the healthcare profession, mm-hmm. and then you decided, okay, no. So how did, when you went to business school and Coming out, did you find agriculture as part of your passion? No, no, not at all. Actually, so before I even started She Farms, I was, I, I read an article on um, The Economist, right? Mm. And the ex-CEO of Nestle wanted to privatize water. Mm. I was enraged. I was like, what do you mean? That if you privatize water now, you're going to privatize air. That would just be the next natural step, right? Mm. And, and then... I all of a sudden was into some information on Haiti and their water supply issues, right? Clean water supply. So I started thinking of a solution of a water font of a water filter and stuff like this, which I can't really go dive so much in because I'm yes. working on that. Sure. That's also in the pipeline. And so I got in contact with like the water boards now in the Netherlands. 
the, the Netherlands know about water, mm-hmm. how to manage water, how to use water, <laughs> how to clean water. Mm-hmm. That is what the Netherlands is for, right? Like, that's, they understand that, right? Because Amsterdam is actually, like, two meters below sea level, mm-hmm. right? So, and they really manage the water properly with levees. Mm-hmm. And... And so got in contact with a lot of a lot of people in the water board, like there's a whole water board industry sector, you mm-hmm. know, really understanding water. And I had a mentor and I gave her this idea and I gave her she farms and she farms came about. I was applying for a consultancy job. And part of the application was like, if you had 100,000 euros, what program would you implement in Nicaragua for smallholder farmers? Mm-hmm. Right. I didn't know anything about smallholder farmers. I didn't know what was going on. Right. Because the food economy is not taught to you in a way that, oh, the food is actually by farmers in this other country that doesn't make so much money. And then they transform it to something else that doesn't even look like what was growing on the trees. Right. Mm -hmm. We don't get that whole line. Nobody understands. No, we got it from ShopRite, Mm -hmm. Walgreens Mm -hmm. or wherever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm No. Or no, man. Whole Foods, sorry, not Walgreens. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> Whole Foods. You know, so people don't have this understanding of of where food actually comes from, yeah. right? So I gave my mentor th- these two things: this water filter and this software solution for smallholder farmers. That I made this proposal up, and she was just like, "Water filter, hardware, a lot of upfront capital." Mm. And also, so much testing because it's water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so this is not something easily going to be built and, and launched. Mm-hmm. Do the software, mm-hmm. launch that, then we can come back to this mm-hmm. because they're all con- is they're all pretty much connected, yeah. right? And so I took her advice, right? And I told the job, the consultancy company, I was just like, "Hey, do not use my idea because I'm starting a company on it." Mm-hmm. And that was October 2014. Okay. And March 2015. I started She Farms. Mm, okay. Yeah. okay. And, and then having mentors, mentors are the best, and just started connecting me to all the people that I needed to be connected to on the continent, just on like, how do, I'm a girl from Brooklyn, New York. I don't know anything about agriculture, mm-hmm. and I, don't, I definitely don't know what smallholder farmers are dealing with, and, and then especially women smallholder farmers, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's all these levels to it. And so I got connected to all these different people understanding what She Farms could be. And then I got accepted into Climate Kick Launchpad is a EU accelerator program for climate change. Anything that has to do with climate change. And working with smallholder farmers, you got to teach them the mitigation process, right? How to be resilient, how to mitigate the risks. And so that's teaching them different farming practices. That's using different crops to as natural pesticides you know all of these different things that they probably have the knowledge of right because a lot of this knowledge is passed down but how do you get that to a way that we can scale it they can and they can make money proper money from it right and a lot of it is based on not having proper records and records in any case is important if you want to get any access to finance any capital yeah right but then you have this other layer that a lot of people are illiterate or have low literacy levels mm-hmm. and then low technology levels. And then you have all these things that are compounded and then people are in this cycle of poverty, mm-hmm. right? So going up, <laughs> definitely up against the grain on this, right? Because this is like, this is not the easiest thing to do, especially I'm not 
yes, I'm from the African diaspora, but I cannot say that my peoples are from this country, from this tribe. I can't say this, right? And so, and before then, I haven't been on the continent. Well, maybe Morocco, but mm-hmm. I haven't been in Sub-Sahara until after I started Sheep Farms. Mm-hmm. And then that's when I really had to, like, be on the ground. So I was living in Munfum in this uh, farming village. I would say 45 minutes north of Cape Coast near the Kakum National uh, Rainforest. Mm-hmm. Live there with the nanas and everything. And that's Ghana for, yes. for you Sorry. guys. Sorry. <laughs> no <problem>. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, because I needed to learn, me and my co-founder, we needed to learn yeah. from the farmers. Right. We, if we're building a product for the farmers and when none of us are from Ghana or from any of these emerging markets or in the agriculture sector... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are we doing? Like, you know, and so this ties into the design thinking that I use, um, the product management and really building a product for the person or for a community of people. Mm-hmm. And I say, oh, I think they're going to use this. No, don't don't think mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I have friends that work in the U.N. and stuff like this and they have programs of like building a water well. And they think the community wants that. Did you ask the community? Because now you took away these people's social part, right? Because normally they all gather at the water well, they have their conversations, they check in on each other, and that's a part of their daily life. Mm -hmm. Now you put a water well. They don't want that. They didn't ask for that, (laughs) you know? And so, yes, we think that, oh, this would make lives easier and better. You don't live there. Mm-hmm. That's not your reality, mm-hmm. you know? And so that, for me, that was important that I understood their reality. Mm-hmm. I trekked the rainforest with them. <laughs> you know, I went on their land. I seen what they were doing every day. You know, I was there with that, me and my co-founder. And, and that was important information, mm-hmm. right? Because you can't get that if you're not there, sure. you know? And that's how really Sheep Farms came about. Mm. Yeah. So you went into the field. This is, I guess, was this part of your, what was the hypothesis that you went into the field to solve for first and foremost? And then I want to talk a little bit more about design thinking, because I think that's something that is not well understood and that Mm -hmm. I think a lot of business, you know, business entrepreneurs and just people in business could probably do well to think Mm -hmm. better about how that happens. Oh, so our first time, right? Because we went there multiple times. So our first time and we had to, the first time was just gathering data. Okay. Just really understanding who our farmers were, how much yields they were making in whatever crop they were using, what is their current practices, how can we improve on those practices, how much money they're making, and really like, okay, how can we make this better? Yeah. Like, what pain points did they have? So it, it was really the first, the first couple of times was just understanding them, mm-hmm. understanding their, their problems. Because I think they have all these problems and a lot of the things that we thought they had was not what they actually had, sure. you know? And then we understood that we were lucky because this farming community, the land passed on from the mother's side mm, and it was yes. only on to the women. So this, this was so beneficial because we didn't have to ask permission for the men to speak to the women yes. and to get access to their land. Yes. So it was very, I had an extremely unique <laughs> 
case study yeah. because this is not the norm. It's not. You know, yeah. and so we were fortunate that the farming communities in that area all were a part of the same tribe and the land was always passed on on the mother's side to the daughters mm-hmm. or to the aunts, mm-hmm. you know, and that that was power Mm-hmm. And that really shifted the power dynamics with their husbands and everything mm-hmm. and who had access to the land and everything mm-hmm. like that. So that's what we learned. And we didn't know that from before. Mm-hmm. Right. And so understanding that, it was like, oh, OK. So they were like, no, this is my land. And, and they were very yeah. proud. Yeah. Like, no, this is my land. My, my husband works on the land for me. <laughs> I was just like, OK, OK, right. got it. Yeah. yeah. And they were like, and this land will go to my daughter, not yeah. to my son. Yeah. Yeah, and I was yeah. just like, huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. interesting. So I'm Fanti Nga. Okay. So, okay. so she's speaking about the Fanti people and Fantis are a matrilineal culture. And so mm-hmm. that is why yep. that everything passes on from the, the mother yep. to their daughters and everything, which is very unique. And that is so awesome. So how did you decide on Ghana? And you happened on this, on the culture side, but how did you decide on Ghana? Um, well, Ghana, actually my network, people I was meeting. So before I even entered into Ghana, I was traveling through Southern Africa, Namibia, Botswana, and South Africa. Mm-hmm. Met tons of different people that were working in the agri sector. And I met this guy who was Dutch, but he was living in, I think, Joburg at the time. He was starting a school in Munfum, okay. in the area. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, oh, well, you need a farming community? I got a farming community you can <laughs> have access to. I can introduce you to the Nanas and all these people. And if they accept you, you can be welcomed in. Wow. And so that's, yeah. Yeah. And it was just me traveling and understanding agriculture on the African continent, which is very different than agriculture in the Netherlands. Yes. Agriculture in the United States. Yes. You know? And that that really opened a lot of doors for mm-hmm. me in that regard, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, so you went, you were first just gathering the data, mm-hmm. and then you understood what you were dealing with. Mm-hmm. So then when you went to, so basically, so I guess probably a better question is, when you went to create the the technology, mm-hmm. what was the hypothesis that you were solving for? So, so then, so we already knew what type of product we wanted mm-hmm. to build. We had like a high-level yes. product that we wanted to build. Only after that we tweaked it more, because mm-hmm. at first we were thinking of, you know, a marketplace somewhere they can sell, make it easy, logistics wise, cover that. But then everything was about finance. Everything mm-hmm. was about capital. Mm-hmm. And if they cannot be resilient to the next harvest or anything, if they didn't have some type of cushion, some type of credit line. And so that was the that was the overarching theme that we heard from numerous farmers and and then also the market queens. So market queens are pretty much the middleman. They mm-hmm. run they run everything, mm-hmm. you know. And and they and they run it so much that if I deny selling it to you, you would kind of like blackball me yes. <laughs> and nobody will buy my crops. Mm-hmm. And I, and then you would lower the price, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And then you, and sometimes you don't even pay me back. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was just like, okay, how do we get them out of this type of gun hole, like chokehold sure, yeah. with these market women because they really control everything. Mm-hmm. You know, who get, who sells what, at what price, who sells it to who, all of these things. And then a lot of these women were also in the cacao, in the chocolate. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. But that's something that we couldn't really get a part of because in Ghana is government regulated, yes. right? And that's, that's a whole thing. <laughs> To buy cocoa directly from our yes. farmers. Yeah. That was an uphill battle for mm-hmm. us because we wanted to buy 
specifically their Coco because we taught them certain things. We knew who they were. Mm. And we want, and because in the Netherlands, for instance, is one of the biggest importers of cacao yeah. in the world. Yeah. Right, and in the Netherlands, you want to have really good chocolate. Like mm-hmm. chocolate here in the United States is garbage. <laughs> like no, like when I meet artisanal chocolate, yeah. I have paid five or six euros for a bar of chocolate, and it was delicious. Sure. You understand? Yeah. This here is tasting <laughs> like I'm like, oh yeah, I really don't know what real chocolate tastes like. <laughs> you know, it's it's a different quality. Yeah. And then when you look at okay, I'm paid six euros for a bar of chocolate, right? And then you look at what these farmers are getting for a bag of cocoa beans. Mm-hmm. And a bag of cocoa beans is 64 kilos, right? And that's on the world market. It, yes. it, doesn't, it doesn't change. The price probably has fluctuated because of inflation, but at that time, it was 1800 for a 64 kilo bag of cocoa beans, mm-hmm. dried and everything. And you're telling me that I'm paying six euros for one bar. Right. Now, if we look at the math, they're getting pennies on the dollar mm-hmm. or on the euro for their labor. And their labor is not even calculated in the price, mm-hmm. right? So when you start understanding this, you start seeing the deficiencies, you start seeing like, oh, okay, well, this is some real issues here. Why are they not getting paid this price? Why is this? There's a couple um, chocolate companies in the Netherlands that have been trying to give the give the farmers more of a living wage a better wage but that's not across the board Mm -hmm. right and so one of the things that what she farms was doing was okay how do we track this right Mm -hmm. we need to track it we need to do some bookkeeping Mm -hmm. because if they don't have records it doesn't matter they're not going to get access to capital they're not going to get credit they're not going to get anything but then we have another thing a lot of them are illiterate or have low literacy levels. And, you know, so mm-hmm. it, it was just like, okay, what do you do, mm-hmm. right? So we're not teaching people how to read, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just like, no. So now we're, we're creating an application that a lot of things were in icons and mm-hmm. pictures mm-hmm. and numbers because they understood numbers and money. Sure. You understand? Yeah. So it's just like, okay, we can't come in and think and teach them something on this level because we need them to be at this level. No, we need to be at their level. Right. And then build a product at that level. Sure. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, and so that's what we did. And then our customer, because they weren't paying for it, our customers were the banks, the MFIs. Mm, mm-hmm. Because the banks or the microfinance institutions, they wanted new customers. Sure. Yeah. And they needed access. This was a customer segment that they didn't have access to. Right. Because why? So They're literate. They, yeah. You understand? Like, yeah. okay, yeah. so how do we get these customers? Because we need them and they need us. Sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's pretty much what She Farms did. Oh. And we also did that in, in Kenya as well for dairy farmers for a bit. Oh, okay. So yeah, that, that has been my journey uh, okay. for She Farms. We dissolved She Farms 2019, December 2019. Oh. That, But funny enough, She Farms has been coming up in a lot of random conversations lately. And oh, people really? have been asking like, so are you going to start back up? And I'm yeah. like... Well, I don't know if the universe is asking me to, maybe, <laughs> you know, definitely things will have to change. We will have to re- redo the business model on some things, but yeah. it does look like it may be time because a lot of it, we were too soon yes. for the market. Yes. Right. Um, and now a lot more attention is on the farmers. Right. That wasn't there 2015, 2016, mm-hmm. you know? So now I was saying the last 
I would say since like 2018, 2019 is when you started seeing the shift and like, oh, okay, well, if we want our farmers to produce X, we have to treat them like this. We have to give them money so they can produce yeah. what we need. Yeah. If, yeah. You know, it's just like anybody, any other profession, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that conversation has been out because... You know, a lot of these things have remnants of colonialism. Like, we really need to understand, like, why are certain countries and agriculture processes, why are the value-added processes are not in the country that it's made from? Why is it all raw materials being shipped off for pennies on the dollar? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah. we really need to understand our food economy. And I, I say we don't have a scarcity problem Mm -hmm. we have a resource management problem because we have more than enough food to feed everybody sufficiently sure you know it's just like how is it being allocated who's making the food (laughs) like we really need to understand that so that's how she farms that's what she farms still is doing in certain areas still talking Mm -hmm. to people like this Mm -hmm. about our food economy and what we should be doing how we should be doing it and bringing the respect and focus back on the on the farmers, mm-hmm. particularly women. Particularly women, because they're the ones that are actually cultivating the land. So, th- this is an interesting time because we also have this war that has the ripple effects are now being seen in other economies, right? Because we have this, I, I think, a cross between the war and then also post COVID, right? Mm-hmm. So, a lot of what the talk in the agri agritech and agri fintech space is, okay, fertilizer, okay. You know, are we getting the seeds? Are we getting those things? Mm-hmm. So what? how have your conversations changed in light of what's going on globally in other markets? And how potentially has that even, because you mentioned, okay, now it seems like we're off topic because of what's going on now. And how much of that is now, okay, we probably should be looking at more food security with these these particular target um, groups? So, yeah, I think... I think COVID has revealed stuff, the war in Ukraine has, that you need to be able to feed your own country. Mm-hmm. You need to be self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. The president of Ghana in 2017, when he got elected, that was one of his goals, to to feed Ghana. Like, why are we getting tomatoes from Burkina Faso? Mm-hmm. We have tomatoes. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Sure. You know? And it's just like, okay, well, if we need to feed our own country and make sure that we have sufficient, of, um, sufficient amount of food for our citizens then that means we have to have proper roads. Mm -hmm. We have to have proper refrigerating, Mm -hmm. you know, cooling Mm -hmm. systems. Mm -hmm. The infrastructure to be able to transport goods Mm -hmm. needs to be in place. Like, there's so many things that need to be done so that the flow of goods are moving. Mm -hmm. And, And so I think for now, I think a lot of countries... Nigeria as well is looking at it because Nigeria has been dealing with inflation. Prices for a bag of beans has quadrupled in like six months yeah come on yeah you know why because you're importing why you have your own food you have your own beans Mm -hmm. but you have this mentality that oh if it's exported it's better no we have to get out of that Mm -hmm. (laughs) and why is that colonialism like we need to understand the history behind Mm -hmm. our food economy and so in nigeria for instance that is now being being talked about more like no we need to be feeding ourselves Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. The land is fertile. Why, why are we... Yes, we should be trading within the continent, but why are we trading with Europe mm-hmm. to bring to to transform it to from tomatoes to tomato paste? Mm-hmm. Why are we not doing that mm-hmm. <laughs> in our own country or mm-hmm. in a neighboring country? Mm-hmm. 
you know? Um, and I think now that understanding is happening sure. with COVID and with the grain. And also, like, grain and everything, that's not really staple food exactly. on, the, on the continent. So exactly. why are we even worried about exactly. that? Exactly. <laughs> we need to understand what is what we eat. Right. Yeah. Cassava, cassava ain't going nowhere. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> Gary it's true. ain't going nowhere. It's true. You know, yeah. so it's just like, why are we not utilizing the things that we have, transform that and build the proper infrastructure? And I think people are waking up now. So, right. Yeah. Right. I fear to a large degree that it's going to get worse for, for those who are like the poverty question, because mm-hmm. part of the problem is that so many people can't afford to eat locally because there's a premium on it because there's not as much of it, right? So poverty is, I feel like there's, a bottom will fall out eventually, unfortunately, mm-hmm. before we rise in the, that other direction. But it seems like it's almost necessary. Uh, I would agree with that as well. Like when I was living in Lagos, I bought my vegetables and fruits off the street. Mm-hmm. I didn't go to the supermarket. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. The supermarket is getting it from the guys on the street. Mm-hmm. And now the supermarket has uh, put a profit margin, you know, 15, 20% on top of tomatoes or right. pineapples. Right. Like, no. Right. And, and then I can bargain. I'm like, no, no, no. That's not 600 naira. <laughs> you understand? Now I have this conversation, sure. you know, sure. and, and then I can bargain. Like, I know the price of pineapple. Sure. So I'm not going to pay this what I would pay at the supermarket. Right. And mo- a lot more people do that, at least in Lagos. And Ghana as well. Yeah. You know, you buy your food and drink. You buy your, your vegetables and fruits off the, at, off, the market. at the market. It's fresh. You know where it's at. You know who's get it. And these are the same people that are there all the time. And they start knowing you. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. So um, I think we need to get out of that mentality if, if we import, it's better. Mm-hmm. You know? They are like, in Nigeria, they own the thing with rice. They only wanted to get, like, jasmine rice mm-hmm. from China mm-hmm. or from Vietnam. And, like... Mm-hmm. You have your own wild rice mm-hmm. that is actually much more nutritional mm-hmm. <laughs> than this jasmine rice that has no nutritional value mm-hmm. and it's not for you. And that's it, yeah. you know? But yeah, we have this. That's the work. This is the work. So that's a good segue into my mindset hack question. So what is your favorite or an innovative mindset hack? So this is one that you practice, one that you know of, or one that you can imagine. So I would say when I had a, I got taught to have a different relationship with money, Mm. right? And part of that was with some friends that have become like my mentors as well, because they're quite older and very well off, right? And so, and they're like, no, this is how you need to understand what money is and and what is your end goal? My end goal is freedom, Right. How do I acquire freedom? Mm-hmm. Right. I need X amount of money to acquire freedom. Right. right. And so once I understood that, then it's just like, oh, money is a tool. Like, right. you understand? And so right. once I once that started happening, things completely shifted, sure. you know, but you have to have that understanding first <laughs> and you have to have your understanding of what is your why? What is your end goal? Mm-hmm. My end goal is freedom. Mm-hmm. Right. And so how do I get there? Mm-hmm. And so that's that's more or less my constant question that I keep asking myself. But one of the podcasts that I, I listen to quite regularly is the science of getting rich. Mm. Right. And it's not really about the monetary. It's 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 more of not thinking in scarcity. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Thinking, and you know, in visualization and thinking in abundance. And it's like 
before you can get anything, you have to have the thought of it. And and there's nothing that cannot be made and built. <laughs> and so once you have that also understanding, it's just like, oh, okay, so I can create all of this. And I've been creating, yeah. you know, my own life in the way I choose to be, you know. I'm in between three countries. Right. And I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and then when I told my friends back in like 2018, 2019, like, yeah, I'm going to about to be in three countries. They're like, oh, you can't be in three countries simultaneously. And I'm like, watch me. Mm-hmm. I'm in three countries simultaneously. Right. You understand? And it's not a lifestyle for everybody. Sure. And it's not an easy lifestyle. And it has some concessions and everything like this. But it allows me to move in the way that feels the most authentic to myself. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love that because that's me as well. Like yeah. I was, I've said, look, I'm going to move. This is going to be my life. And it was like, oh, yeah, but you, but you. I'm like, no, I actually... We can do this. Who said, who said we couldn't? Yeah. Who made this rule that you can't do that? <laughs> you know, every time I go through customs, they're like, oh, you've been out of the country. Why? I said, because I can. And they, and they hate that answer. And I'm like, and that's a, that's my real answer. Mm-hmm. And it's not being arrogant or anything. Mm-hmm. Why you been out of the country? Why are you? Because I can. What do you mean? Why are you asking me? <laughs> you see my, my visas and they all say business. I'm confused why. Yeah. And, pe- and they're looking at me like I'm being arrogant. And I'm like, I'm not. I just have a very different mentality. Sure. It's just like, I can. And that's just my answer. I've been out of the country for a month. Why? Because I felt like being out of the country for a month. Do yeah. I have to have a reason right. to be out of the country? <laughs> right. But because that's not the norm, people are looking at this like, oh, you're trying to be out? No, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm living my life. That's it. <laughs> you know? Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think people have to have their, people have to do what works for them and yeah. their lifestyle yeah. and, figure the, and figure out their whys. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And money is a tool. And money is a tool, man. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, so we've talked about your business. So, so what is now for you? So, she, so she farms has kind of transitioned to more of a consultancy, or in terms of concept, like mm-hmm. is that more of what you're doing? And then, and then, what what is new and next and now for you as you are splitting time th- between three countries and. Um, so yeah, so she farms, I do some consulting on that as well. I consult and other, like I'm running a project in Lagos now, a manufacturing project. I'm building a, a dashboard system for this manufacturing company. Mm-hmm. So I'm consulting more right now. I'm trying to get back into the agri space because that I realized that's my why, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and I could talk about the food economy all day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so for me, one of the things that I've been talking to some friends in Lagos is like, okay, now some new policies are changing. Um, how can we do certain things there? And just and, and know that you can't just do agriculture without finance. Yes. Like it needs, they need to be together. So the agri fintech space is something that I w- I'm going to be exploring more of. Do I think that I will be living permanently on the continent? I don't know. But would I be there for some time? Yes. Mm-hmm. Would I be back in New York for some time? Yes. Because, you know, the capital is here mm-hmm. or in Europe. Mm-hmm. And so we need. So I need to be able to leverage that. Sure. Uh, and so that's where I'm at now. So I'm doing consultancy right now, which is cool. Is it everything? No. Mm-hmm. You know, do I have the itch to start another company? Yes. Um, I gave myself a two-year break mm-hmm. simply because dissolving your startup is not something easy. It was a heartbreak. And I needed to have time to heal from it, understand the lessons. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're not in it, then you're like, oh, okay, now this makes sense. Mm -hmm. Now that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. 
And so that has been my process. Mm-hmm. But the itch has been has been there. Yeah. And I gave myself two years and we're in the two year mark. Okay. <laughs> and it's like, okay, so uh, you know, the little the uh, my little voice in my head is like, All right, T, so what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> what are we doing? Where are we at? Okay. You know? And so now it's getting there again. But it's also I think one of the things that I'm dealing with now is the level of inspiration. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. How to get inspired to that level again. You know, with knowing all the hurdles and pitfalls and all the beautiful things that having a startup entails. Yes. Because that's not easy. No. You know? Um, It takes a lot of energy. Yeah. You know? And it's just like, okay, am I at that? Am I there yet? And so now is that constant check-in. But I know I'm not an employee. I realize I'm not a good employee. (laughs) I'm not a good employee. Yeah, Yeah, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You know, and you got to, this is knowing thyself, Mm -hmm. right? Knowing who you are. Mm -hmm. And, and it's like, for me, I like to be creating. I'm a builder Mm -hmm. and I like to be building things from scratch Mm -hmm. and seeing it blossom. Like, ah, that's, that's what happened. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's the next step. So would you say, because I know starters and founders that are the builders, but they're not the runners. So they can build it and see it, and then they pass it on to someone else. So, would you say that you're type you're that type of entrepreneur, or you are a builder and a grower and a stayer? I would say the latter. Okay. Yeah, I'm definitely very hands on. Maybe I'm not the implementer in all aspects, mm-hmm. but the vision is there, so that is like, okay, I can direct this. Sure. Right. And and I want to be a part of the growing part, mm-hmm. the growing pains with it. So yes, I would be. When I had um, She Farms, it was 13 of us. Oh. And and so that's a large team for a startup to yeah. have, right? Yeah. And I wasn't overseeing everybody. I had an anthropologist, UX designers, and everybody had their own function. Mm-hmm. And then we came back like, okay, this is the vision. This is where we're going. Okay, mm-hmm. how do we continue going in this direction, mm-hmm. right? And so for me, it's the high-level strategy, the mm-hmm. high-level vision and making sure that's implemented. But you have to trust your team to be able to implement it. And I trusted my team that I didn't need to be a micromanager and overseeing. Like, no, this is this is the direction. Y'all figure out how to get there. Got it. I'm giving y'all the skeleton. Y'all can fill it in. Yeah. And so that's how I run my team. Nice. Nice. Nice, 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 nice. Okay, so we know who you are, who's running teams and mm-hmm. and running businesses, but we want to know a little bit more about the Tiambi mm-hmm. that's not she farming. <laughs> <laughs> and and who are you in your other life? So I, I asked this question: Are you a reader, a watcher, or a listener? And what are some of your favorite reads, watches, or listens? Oh, okay. Right now, I'm reading the autobiography from Will Smith. Oh, okay, Will. Will, I'm reading that. I'm reading also The Power of Now. Oh, I love that. Yeah, so I'm so I'm in between those two books at the moment. Mm-hmm. Podcasts, uh, The Science of Getting Rich, as well as Dissect. That's a music podcast. And it Dissects, I, th- I think, is a really good um, podcast for those that don't know. It's on Spotify. It might be on other things. And they dissected. The first one was To Pimp a Butterfly by um, Kendrick Lamar. Interesting. Yeah, it was a very good uh, yeah. understanding the ins and out of an album. Yeah. I've never dissected an album the way this yeah. guy did. Yeah. And I really appreciate it. And so every season is a new album okay. that he dissects. So, yeah, so I listened to that. Um, if I'm watching TV, I'm trying to watch, like, sci-fi. Yeah. Just because 
the vision, yeah. you know, and it's so far-fetched on things, but then it's just, ha- is it really far-fetched? Because this could really just be happening right now. <laughs> you know, so it, it gives me a, um, it, it gives me a chance to imagine. Yes. And so this is one of the reasons why I like to watch a lot of sci-fi. And yeah, I think I'm, I dibble and dabble in a lot of different things. Sure. I'm creative in the sense of I journal, I paint. But I paint for myself. Got like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not I'm not trying to sell no cam- canvas. Yeah. I crossfit about three times a week, three to four times a week. Try to stay fit and healthy. Yeah. And hanging out with my dog and with friends. I like to host dinner, yeah. have drinks and stuff like that with yeah. friends. Cultivating friendships is very important to me. Yeah, I, I rarely do superficial conversations. Mm-hmm. It, I'm just like, I'm not getting anything from this. <laughs> It, it, it doesn't feel authentic. Sure. And once it doesn't feel authentic, I'm like, ah, I don't need to yeah. continue this conversation. Right. You know, like, I'm very clear on certain things on that. Like, ah, I don't need it. So, yeah, so I'm building relationships, building friendships. Like, I have been very fortunate that I can go back to Amsterdam and I I can drop off my bags and I'm just already yeah. in the city, in the flow. Like, I've never left. Same thing with Legos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just get there like, hey, I'm in town. Oh, okay, cool. I'll see you in a bit. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's just a flow. And 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 not everybody can do that, yeah. right? To be comfortable yeah. in whatever city they're in. Right. And I have really kind of like mastered, like I could be comfortable wherever I'm at. Yeah. And I will always have a good network wherever I'm at. And yeah. and that has been that has been proven very fruitful. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. awesome. Tiambi, it's been so wonderful hosting you. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been wonderful hosting you, having learning more about the agrofintech space thank and you. and how you are navigating and and we didn't get back to the design think question, but I but I definitely am curious about that. And I actually I keep saying I'm doing I'm gonna be moving into some salons and having more guests come back and talk about where they are and what they're doing. But I'd love to have you back to talk oh, a little sure. bit more about that Sorry with some of the that. other guests. Yeah, exactly. And others in the agritech okay. um, at agrofintech space. So so yeah, keep your ears open for another call back. Yes, no problem. Thank and you so, for having me. But so before we sign off, do you have any last words for our listeners? Oh, last words. Um I think people should travel as much as possible. Mm-hmm. If you can live outside of the country for a month, three months, do it. You just get a very different perspective on life, who you are as a person, who other people are. I think that's the best teacher. Yeah. Uh, By far the best teacher. It's things that you would never be able to learn in school or in work if you stay in your country. Yeah. Full time, all the time. Like, get out. If you can. If you can. And And I know that's not easy for everybody, but if you can... Please live abroad for a month. You really need three months to really understand a city. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but if you can only do a month, I get it. it. Do it. <laughs> but yeah, because it'll make you hungry. Yes, yeah. yes. You would. Yeah. You would definitely be like. Oh, why am I somewhere else? Why am I not here? Yeah. Oh, this makes more sense. Yeah. You know. Exactly. So definitely travel, live abroad. Yes, yes. That's great words from a local citizen. All right, listeners, this has been another episode of the podcast. You can catch us each and every Tuesday with new episodes at glocalcitizenspod.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Spotify, (laughs) (laughs) Apple, Google, Amazon Music, Wherever you get your podcast, you can find us. So as always, like, share, subscribe, tell a friend, write a review. It helps people find good content. And until next time, bye for now. <laughs>